But even still, the church marches on. Why? How is that even possible? It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the living head of the church. He's not a dead hero. He's a living king, still in charge. Please open your Bible to Proverbs chapter number 24. Proverbs 24. How many know what a diary is? Raise your hand if you know what a diary is. It looks like most of us. How many here have in the past or currently are keeping a personal diary? Raise your hand. Oh, that's a good number. So you have a book that you write things in. Sometimes it's weekly, daily, monthly, or whenever you know the spirit moves you, you write something in there. And, you know, as I look back on my own life, I kind of wish I had kept better diaries. I have a few sketchy notes, but diaries typically are written by people who uh, want to put down a first-hand experience on print and, and paper as to uh, what happened. You know, uh, some people write what the weather was like on a certain day, what they did, who they did it with, where they went maybe uh, on their birthday, something that they received, and yeah, dear diary, and they write this in there. Diaries can be written by famous, famous people, like members of a royal household, and they can be written by insignificant nobodies. But diaries really have a place in life. I, um, I found something on my shelf uh, when I was a, a boy back in the the 60s going to, going to school, one of my school projects was to, um, to make a diary. And so, I, boy, for some reason, I thought, hey, this would be a lot of fun. And so this is what I did. Um, and so I, I got my mom to help me because I was still a kid and... Um, she had more experience at gluing and, you know, things like that. But can you zoom in on this? All right. Am I turning it right there? Yeah, zoom. Okay, good. Yeah, zoom right in on that, would you? Yeah, there we go. So that's stenciled with some kind of gold paint on there. And I remember we took matches and burned the edges, smelled up the whole house, you know, doing it. Put stitching on the back you know, to make it look really old. And so here we took pages and uh, we clipped them and burned them and we used um, tea, tea bags, to make them look old. And so I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's, it's just a school project is all it was. But uh, it starts off Limerick, Ireland, May 11th, 1803. So this was slightly before I was invented. So I wrote in here, I am 25 years old. My name is Patrick Donovan. I have just fled from the scene of a crime that I committed. And it's just as, you know, as I read this thing again, uh, it, it brings back some happy memories. Terrible story, plot line and everything. I mean, just, nah, no, it would not make top 10 of nothing. But uh, it was a school project. I forget what a grade I got on that, but uh, I kept it. And that thing, you know, is 
it's pushing 60 years old, that book right there. But uh, I just thought I would show that to you just to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about, a diary where you write in experiences that you've, you, you've had and maybe your wishes, what you would like. And, you know, if some girl turned you down for a date, you know, you write that in there. Or the guy of your dreams, you might write that in there. I don't know what you might write. But diaries give us insights into what people went through, what people were like. Harry Truman was president of the United States during World War II, during the end of World War II. And he wrote a diary, and in it he included his personal thoughts on the dropping of the atomic bomb. He wrote his personal thoughts on there. Lena Mukina was a Russian girl who lived through the horrors and atrocities of the uh, siege of the city of Leningrad by the um, Nazi army in World War II and the horrible things that went on. And she wrote about that in a diary. Samuel Pepys, P-E-P-Y-S, Pepys. He lived in London, England in the 1600s and he wrote in his diary all about the Great Fire of London. Maybe you've heard about that. It happened in 1666. It was a major, major catastrophe, and it's one of the most famous city fires in all history, the Great Fire of London. He wrote about it. He was there. Thomas Edison was a famous inventor and businessman, and he's widely regarded as one of the greatest thinkers who ever lived. And he kept diaries, lots of them. He was a prolific writer. He wrote some 3,500 diaries, kind of like notebooks. In, it, in them, I should say, in their pages, are, they're filled with his inventions, and they offer a fascinating insight into his creative mind. Well, folks, in the Bible, believe it or not, we have diaries. Diaries about amazing lives of godly men and women who lived their lives for God. And today I want to talk about the diary of a good man. This diary has only got three pages in it. The one we're going to talk about today. It's only got three pages in it. But I want you to listen carefully and I want you to think if this could have been your diary. If this could be you. So let's begin with a word of prayer. And then let's uh, look into Proverbs Chapter number 24. Heavenly Father, help us today. Open the eyes of our understanding that we could see what it is you have for us today. Our Father, we know that when you lay a table, it's rich. And there, there's rich food on the table today. Spiritual food. Help us all to eat to our, our full. Help our cup to run over today. We pray that you would please encourage our hearts. We pray, Father, for Pastor Turner, that you would raise him to health and strength and bless his church and his family. And now be with us as we seek to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, dear diary, this is page one of the diary. Dear diary, today... The wicked spoiled 
my resting place. Now, if you look, please, at chapter number 24 and verse 25. I'm sorry, verse 15. 24 and verse 15. Lay not wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Spoil not his resting place. Now, these are God's words to wicked people. Wicked people don't tend to listen to what God has to say. That's too bad because uh, they're going to find out if they had have listened, they would not have done what they did. So often people do things that are wicked and then afterward they reap what they sow. The news is always filled with people doing horrible things these days and then they get caught. And then they're publicly humiliated and they're thrown into prisons. And sometimes terrible things happen to them by the other inmates in prison. There are many famous people who uh, were held in high regard only to find out that they were doing some wicked, horrible things. And, and now for, well, I guess for the rest of their lives, their reputation is gone. It's shot. And they, uh, they just hang their heads. Um, anyhow, there's plenty of examples in the news. But I won't get into that. But we have here a very interesting page one of the diary. It doesn't, the diary's not starting off too, too good, is it? Day one. The wicked spoiled my resting place. You know, the truth is, wicked people hate godly people. That is the truth. That is the way the world works. Don't ever think for a minute that you can live godly for Christ Jesus and not have enemies out there somewhere. Sadly, some of those enemies can even be the members of your own family. If you're going to live your life for the Lord Jesus and your family is, doesn't want to do that and they can make family life miserable. In Psalm 37, 12, it says, the wicked plotteth against the just. So that means that they give some thought to the evil they want to do. That's sad, isn't it? Uh, the state of affairs we live in, but it's true. Paul in the New Testament wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The word persecution means to be hunted down. To persecute means to hunt down. And wicked people do that sort of thing. If they see you at work in the lunchroom and before you eat, you bow your head and you give thanks to God for your meal. Ah, they take note of that. And they plot for the next time they see you. They know what they're going to say. They try to humiliate you. And so when someone does or says something evil or wicked toward you because you thanked God for your meal, well, you can mark it down. They gave some thought to it. They sort of plotted a little course. They hunted you down, but that's all right. The Lord Jesus tells us that when this sort of thing happens, rejoice, great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they, the prophets. I mean, you're not the only one who's ever gotten a cold shoulder or some nasty words simply because they saw you holding your Bible or bowing your head for, for prayer before you, you eat your food. Why would we want to suffer? Yea, all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer. I heard that word, suffer. Why would I want to suffer? Well, 
None of us really want to suffer, do we? But if we live for the Lord Jesus, it will find us. But the promise is God will bless us. He'll reward us for that. We should never be afraid of suffering. And suffering comes in different shapes and sizes. In 2 Timothy 2.12, one chapter before the verse I just read you in chapter 3, verse 12, Paul wrote, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. You're not going to be on this earth forever. You know that. This life you're living is going to come to an end, either through the kindly hand of death or through the coming of our Lord Jesus in the clouds to take us to himself. But your life is going to come to a close one day. It's not going to go on and on forever. You you don't have an infinite amount of, of days on earth. Your time on earth is limited. So, you know, how much time you have left, nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's a sad thought, but someone here today could be driving to work tomorrow and get T-boned by a Mack truck and we'll be having your funeral. That is a possibility. It's a possibility that you could develop a brain aneurysm or something. A thousand different ways. But what is true is that if you're saved, if you're part of God's family, you will stand before God one day. Not to determine if you're saved or not. No, you do that here on earth. No, it's God's going to look at your life. Jesus is going to go through your life. He's going to look at your life. He's going to look for what he can reward. And everything you've done for him, every time you've obeyed him, he's going to reward that. And some here will be greatly rewarded. We hope everyone will. But some might get very few rewards. This earth is your shortest piece of eternity. For all eternity, you're going to be with God. If you know Christ as your Savior. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, then you won't be with the Lord Jesus. For all eternity, you'll be somewhere else for all eternity. But truth is, we're here on earth. We want to live for Jesus. And when we do, some people are not going to appreciate that. That is very true. You see that uh, played out in the lives of um, the first two boys recorded in Scripture, Cain and Abel. And Cain... Uh, was a, a tiller of the ground and he was not a righteous man and, and Abel was. He was a keeper of the sheep and he loved God. And God told them to bring sacrifice and Abel brought the right one and Cain brought the wrong one. He brought what he wanted to and not what God wanted to. And so Cain got upset with Abel and uh, called him you know, off to one side and killed him. Cut his throat or something. And so God later said, uh, where's your brother Abel? And Cain said, hey, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, His blood cries to me from the ground, God said. So that's probably what happened. He cut his throat or something, but he shed his blood. You see, Cain hated Abel because Abel's works were righteous and Cain's wasn't. Uh, Another man you may have heard of, his name was John Huss. John Huss. And he uh, was born in the 1300s, and he died in the early 1400s. I think uh, 1372, 73, to about 1415. That we know for sure, because they killed him. John Huss was born uh, into a Catholic uh, family, a very Catholic uh, community. Uh, He became a Catholic priest. And 
anyhow, he started to get influenced around 1400, 1401, something like that, by the writings of John Wycliffe. Wycliffe was writing a lot about uh, knowing God as your Savior. And Wycliffe was also pointing out some of the things the Catholic Church was doing, like selling indulgences. If you don't know what that is, that's a nasty, nasty blot on the Catholic Church. They would say, do you want to sin? Okay, tell me the sin you want to do, and and we'll tell you how much it'll cost you to do it. Oh, you want to go have adultery with that woman? Well, that's going to cost you so many dollars. I'm just saying dollars. They used a different currency back then, right? You know, but you wanted to... uh, uh, Kill someone, that is going to cost you a lot. But they sold indulgences, and they did it to raise money to build, I think it was St. Peter's Basilica or something like that. So some people were crying out, foul, foul, this is not right. Wycliffe was, was amongst them. John Huss started getting influenced by the writings of John Wycliffe and started reading the scriptures. And the more he read the scriptures, the more he realized that what his Catholic Church was doing is not what the Bible was saying. It didn't take too long before John Huss repented of his sins and received Jesus Christ as his Savior and began preaching salvation through Jesus only, not through the Mass, not through baptism, but through Jesus only. And of course, the Catholic Church hated him for that. He he preached and wrote a lot, and they wanted him to recant. He says, I won't do it. And so he was under um, protection of the king of uh, uh, Bohemia. It was called Bohemia at that time. And so they weren't able to touch him. Well, finally, they invited him to a a powwow, a little meeting, and they guaranteed his safety. So he came and bang, they arrested him and they threw him in prison and they, they held this mock trial. Now, it took a couple of years and they were sort of semi torturing the poor guy over this time. But they were telling him, recant, recant, take back, take back these things you've said. Tell everyone that it was an error and we will let you go. Otherwise, John Huss, you will die at the stake. He says, I won't do it. I won't do it. And so finally, the day came uh, in 1415. I think it was in July. I could be wrong, but I I think it was. They uh, brought him to the stake and they had, you know, all of the the, uh, uh, straw and hay there to light the thing up. And they bound him to the stake and they gave him a last chance to recant. And he said he would never, ever, ever deny the truth of Scripture. So they put a torch to it and up, up it went. And while he was dying, he was singing a hymn to God. And that's how he went home to heaven. I don't expect that is going to happen to any one of us here today. But you know, if we were living uh, 800 years ago, whatever, in, in the days of, or 700 years, in the, in the days of uh, 600 years, whatever the math is, if we were living in John Huss's day and we wanted to follow the Lord Jesus like we're following him today, it just might cost us our lives Not everyone is going to be so happy that you've become a Christian. Job said in chapter 12, verse 4, he said, the just upright man is laughed to scorn. That means that when they find out at school that you're a born-again Christian, they're going to laugh at you. 
when people at work find out that you love Jesus, they're going to laugh at you, maybe call you a holy Joe. That's just the way it is. That's what happens. And some people will not come to Christ for salvation because of that. And then, unfortunately, they'll die and they'll be in hell. I mean, it's far better to suffer a little scorn here on earth and reign with the Lord. That's his promise. If we suffer, we will reign. So now, I'm not suggesting anyone go out and cause trouble. There, believe it or not, there are Christians who think, you know, they need to go out and stir up a hornet's nest. Don't you do that. God didn't call you to go and, and, and overthrow the government. God didn't call you to do that. No, he's called you to live your life in peace for the Lord Jesus and let your light shine. Let others see Christ in you and be faithful, be fruitful, be productive for his glory. That's what God's called you to do. Persecution, unfortunately, will come. Noah, the guy who built the ark, the Bible says Noah was a just man. And for about 120 years, he's building this big ark out in the desert. And of course, people are laughing him to scorn. It had never rained. Water had always come from the ground up. It had never come from the sky down in earth's history. And Noah was saying, God's going to make it rain. Oh, ho, ho. Crazy Noah. Well, I'm sure he was the, the song of the, the drunkards in the taverns. He was the butt of the jokes. But he, he never quit. He never gave up. He never stopped serving the Lord. <laughs> Would you have rather been with Noah or with the, uh, the crowd down at the tavern laughing at Noah? You know, where would you have rather been? Wouldn't take me too long to figure that one out. You know, I'll put up with a little scorn, a little mocking. If I can get on the boat there with Noah, I'd be more than happy. Sadly, not too many went in with him, right? Have you ever been laughed at for being a Christian? Has that ever happened to you? Has anyone ever given you a hard time or said something belittling or belligerent to you? Because a lot of Christians wouldn't know what I'm talking about. The only thing they might think about is someone who goes, you know, into a public place crowded with people and starts screaming and hollering like some religious fanatic, and then the security guards drag him out and throw him out. Oh, is that what you mean? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you live your life for the Lord Jesus. If you be at school, if you be at work, you know, you're in the lunchroom or with a few, and I don't know, they're using the Lord's name in vain. What do you do? Do you, do, you, do you do anything? You know, do you stand up for your Savior and say, boy, you know, can we tone down the language a bit here? I mean, that's, Jesus is precious to me. You don't have to uh, pull out a, a brick and clobber the guy over the head. You don't have to do anything nasty like that or call them names. You just mildly, you know, ask if we can just take it easy a bit because that name Jesus is precious to me. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where you ought to stand up for Jesus? I'll tell you, if I was in a place, a few guys around, and they were ridiculing my wife, I'd say, hey, whoa, that's my wife you're talking about. You don't talk about her that way. And I'm sure most everyone here would probably do the same thing. If they badmouthed your husband or your child or your mother, 
You know, you'd say, whoa, hey, time out here. That's nasty. But what about when they badmouth our Savior? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? He's the one who died for us on Calvary's cross so we didn't have to go to hell. Are we ashamed of our Savior? Oh, but it's so scary. I know, I know. I've been there, done that. But I'm telling you, I love Jesus more than I love some of these clowns, you know, in the pig pen or some of these guys with a foul mouth. I love my Savior more. I have wonderful neighbors, but I love Jesus more. And if they attack my Savior, they don't even realize they do it some days. You know, then I'll, I'll gently put in a little word for my Savior. Say, you know, that name Jesus is precious. I'm a Christian. He's my Savior. You say, well, what if they go off on a big rant? Well, let them. Let them. Remember, the, the wicked, they spoil my resting place. They do things that they ought not to do. But you can count on it. The wicked will try to spoil your resting place. Over the last almost 50 years that I've been born again, I've experienced uh, my fair share of uh, persecution and holy joes and all kinds of things like that. All right, well, that's page one. Page one of the diary. Oh, boy, today, the wicked, they spoil my resting place. Okay, well, let's flip the page, shall we? Let's get over to page two of the diary. Verse 16, page two, dear diary. Today I fell seven times. It says, for a just man falleth seven times. That's page two? Yeah, that's page two. Did you know that good men fall? Did you know that? Did you know in Psalm 37, 23 and 24, it says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way, though he fall. Though he fall. That's what it says. Good men fall. Just men fall. That means to fail at a task. And there's no shame in trying and failing. There is no shame at all. If you plan on being successful in anything, and especially at being a Christian, uh, then you can probably count on failing or falling at least several times. But here's a point. When you do fall, you do mess up, you do fall, don't be nasty to others. Because if you do fall, you mess up somehow, and then people uh, point that out, then you're just going to have to take you know, the, the humble road and say, yeah, you're right, I messed up. And, um, and not be nasty toward others. I believe that you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. That's my personal belief. I've read a lot of books on people's lives, and I've seen that in other people's lives. They, they record a similar kind of thing. You learn more from your failures, because failure builds character. It builds strength. Success doesn't. Failure does. And it will contribute to your success. And not only will you fall, but according to the scripture, you're going to fall more than once. Verse 16, for a just man falleth seven times. 
you're going to mess up more than once. On your road to success, you're going to fall at least seven times. That's what it looks like here. Falling is like a temporary setback. It may look permanent, but it's only temporary because tomorrow's a new day. Back in 1955, William and Mary had a son, a bright-eyed looking little boy, and they called him William. And William got interested in electricity and, you know, I guess the technology. And in 1970, he started a, a little kind of a company. He invented a, a special computer that counted traffic. And he called this company Traf-O-Data. And the idea was this special kind of computer he built was supposed to count the traffic somehow and provide the data so that city planners would be able to plan their streets better. This wasn't such a hot idea. And uh, the company didn't really do all that well. It, we would call it basically a failure because it did fold. However, uh, William, or Bill, as he was known, didn't give up. And in 1975, he came up with another idea, him and another buddy or two. This idea was for a company called Microsoft. And Bill Gates never looked back. There's no shame in falling. There's no shame in failing. The shame is in not getting back up. Okay, so yes, you tripped and you fell face first into a mud puddle. That is a shame. But don't stay there. Don't stay there with your face in the mud puddle, weeping and bubbles coming out of your nose. Oh, woe is me. Get back up. That's what we need to do. You know that sometimes marriages go on rocky roads. You know that? You know, sometimes raising children isn't as easy as what we thought it might be. And we have some terrible times. Sometimes the children grow into teenage werewolves. And we say, who are you? And what did you do with my son? And life is like that, right? But it's not the end. It's not the end. And these things can be worked with and they can be turned around into beautiful relationships if we'll let them. It doesn't always work out that way. Not 100%, but the greater majority will if done properly. Sometimes schooling becomes a failure. People want to quit. Sometimes employment. Sometimes trying to build a church for God. You can go through all kinds of rocky roads trying to build a wonderful church for the Lord. You can count on it. You'll fail. You'll fall many times in your attempts to succeed. But there's a verse in the Old Testament, and it's repeated three more times in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. We don't live so much by sight. We live by faith. And God tells us his promises in the Bible. If we will do things his way, he will make them work out. In Proverbs, it says, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. God's given us so many wonderful promises of what he will do if we will do it his way. But you see, that's where faith comes in. Faith to believe, yes, God's telling me the truth. And even though I can't see any way out of this, I'll just believe him for it. 
it was the same God who told Moses, go into Egypt and bring out my people. And so anyhow, long story short, here's Moses with some three million Jewish people, you know, trailing along behind a big mass of humanity coming out of Egypt and they face the Red Sea. Whoa, this wasn't in the plans. And to make matters worse, Pharaoh had a change of heart. He said, ooh, I should never have let him go. And so he says to his captains, he says, get your chariots and we'll surround them. They're trapped at the Red Sea. They're ours. We'll kill a bunch and we'll drag the rest back into slavery. And so there was this big cloud of dust coming up behind the Jews, all of the chariot wheels creating this cloud of dust. They were scared. There's no way out. Can't go forward. Can't go back. What are we going to do? God said, you'll see. And they did see the Red Sea until they saw the sea no longer because the sea parted and they went through. Say, oh, isn't that just kind of a, no, that's a true story that actually happened. There's so many things God has done. And God has done things in your life, if you'll stop to remember them, how God provided bread on your table, clothes on your back, how you never thought you'd get the job and you got the job. Maybe someone thought, oh boy, my, my kid will never amount to anything. And he did or she did. God is amazing. We haven't begun to see what God can do. God says, if you'll do it my way, if you get me involved. You see, we've looked at page one now. Well, today the wicked, they spoiled my resting place. That's page one of your diary. Page two, let's see what it's got to hold. Well, today I fell seven times. Ah, wow. Page three. Page three is coming, folks. Just like when they crucified our Lord, day three is coming. Day three, when he rose from the grave. He is the only founder of any world religion that has ever died and come back to life. And he was seen of hundreds and hundreds of people. Not just one or two. It wasn't a thing done in secret. It was a thing done publicly. And to this day, for over 2,000 years, we call it the church triumphant. The world has tried to destroy the church, tried to uh, wipe the Bible off the face of the earth. They cannot do it. The Bible is the most printed book in all earth's history. It numbers in the multiple billions of copies. The other world great books only number in millions of copies. Maybe a hundred million for some. The Bible is in the billions. There's no book like the Bible. Try as they may, they cannot get rid of the church. <clears throat> some of the most powerful nations on earth, even in recent history, have tried to destroy the church. Can't do it. Behind communist lines, behind Muslim lines, the church has not only survived, it's thriving. Some of the, the best revivals in the world today are happening in communist-controlled lands and Muslim-controlled lands. People are coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's only in countries, you know, with the wealthy and the affluent like Canada and the United States where we see the, the foundations of Christianity crumbling. But even still, the church marches on. Why? How is that even possible? It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the living 
head of the church. He's not a dead hero. He's a living king still in charge. We come to, to, to day three, to page three in our diary. Today, page three, today I rose up again. It says that in verse 16. Page two, for a just man falleth seven times. Page three, and riseth up again. You can't keep a good man down. Day three is coming. This is the diary of a good man. Proverbs 12, 13 says, The just shall come out of trouble. The just shall come out of trouble. Keep your finger, please, here in Proverbs. Turn to the New Testament. We're coming back to Proverbs. Turn to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 4. So if you start at the beginning of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts, then Romans, then 1 Corinthians, then 2 Corinthians, chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 4. This is real page 3 truth. This is, this is meat and potatoes. This is what you need. This is good vitamins here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Now let's play a little game. I'll read the first part, and you read the second part. These are like two halves, right? There's several of them. So if... You get the idea? I'll read the first, the problem, and you read the, the good news, the solution part. Okay? We are troubled on every side. We are perplexed. Persecuted. Cast down. You got it. That's page three. Day three is coming. If we do it God's way. If we do it God's way. If you go back to Proverbs chapter number 16, please. We can have successful marriages. But we're on our way to the divorce court. Yes, if you'll stop the car and do it God's way, you can have a successful marriage. My kids, uh, they're not turning out so good. They will if you do it God's way. You have a loved one who's not saved. You may be in... Page 1 or page 2. Page 3 is still out there. If you look at verse 16 again, you're back in Proverbs 24. You see, I said earlier that um, these wicked people, they do things they shouldn't do. They don't listen to God. And if they'd listen to God, they wouldn't do it because they're going to reap what they sow. In verse 16, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Now read out loud these next words with me, please. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. There's the wicked again. They're going to fall into mischief. That's a a condition of evil misfortune. They're going to reap what they sow. Everyone who's ever mocked you in the the lunchroom or made fun of you or bullied you because uh, you carried your Bible to or your New Testament to to school or something or they they found out that you love Jesus and so they made life hard for you. I promise you, I'm telling you, they've offended Almighty God. And God knows where they live. And God will bring trouble 
upon people who trouble you. You don't have to do it. God says, beloved, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You don't seek the vengeance. That's God's department. It belongs to him. You just keep living for the Lord. Keep acting like, well, how did Jesus put it? Be as wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. That's how Jesus put it. And we're to behave that way. We're not to get all snarly and gnarly, you know, at people who try and abuse us, misuse us, mock us, talk behind our back. We're not supposed to be worldly back to them. We're to be loving. Look what they did to Jesus. And look what Jesus' response, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it kind of sets the example for us. So your job is not to go find a stick and chase people down the street. Your job is to get on your knees and pray for them. Your job is then to get on your feet and live for Jesus. That's your job. God is the one who will settle the accounts. He says so right here. The wicked shall fall into mischief. They're going to be walking along and all of a sudden, the earth is going to give out from underneath them, down into trouble, misery, horrible problems. They will fall. I've seen it. I've seen it many times over the years. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, the just shall live by faith. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 7, God wrote there, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So it's very, very important we remember, God's still in control. He knows what he's doing. Page three is coming. Tom and Nancy had a a baby boy in 1809. Little, nice, fair-haired little baby boy. They were born down in the United States. The little boy, when he was nine, his mother Nancy died. Boy, that's that's a hard pill to swallow. You know, when your mom passes away and you're just a boy. That was in 1818. But the boy grew up and at 23 years of age, he wanted to get involved with some politics. They had a state legislature, which basically is a group of politicians, young and old. They get together and they make laws for that state. And he wanted to be part of this. And so he ran for state legislature and he lost. That was in 1832. Next year, in 1833, he lost his job. And he wanted to go to law school, but he couldn't get in. And so he borrowed some money from a friend to begin a business. And by the next year, he was bankrupt. He spent the next 17 years of his life paying off his debt. In 1834, he would, thought he would try and run again for state legislature. This time he won. Next year in 1835, he he got engaged to his sweetheart to be married. But she died that same year and his heart was broken. And he had a total nervous breakdown and he was in bed for six months And from 
the years 1835 to 1849, he tried his hand at politics again. He tried to become the speaker of the state legislature, but they defeated him. He sought to become the elector, the position of elector. He was defeated for that. He thought he would try and run for Congress. He lost. And he thought he would try again. He ran for Congress. But this time he won. And so he ends up in Washington. Apparently he did a pretty good job. So then he ran for re-election to Congress and he lost. And in 1849, he decided he would try his hand uh, at being a land officer in his home state. And he lost. He was rejected. Um, in 1854, he ran for the Senate of the United States and he lost. This is at 45 years of age. He sought the vice president nomination of his party's national convention. He got less than 100 votes. In 1858, he ran for the U.S. Senate again, and he lost again. He's 49 at this point. But in 1860, at 51 years of age, this boy was elected president of the United States, and you probably know his name, Abraham Lincoln. It's an inspiring story on the virtue of perseverance. Because many of us give up too, too soon. We write page one of our diary and we say, that's it. Or some of us will write page one, but then page two. Come on, seven times. And we quit. We, we're not hanging in there, folks. We're not waiting for God to bring the victory. We're not waiting for day three. And you must give your 100% effort if you want to win. You just can't sit back. Oh, I got problems, Lord. You, you fix everything. You, you, will, you will not win. You have to do your part. You have to be faithful and to do what you know God wants you to do. You see, if you're only a part-time Christian, you're only ever going to get part-time results. But if you want to really score big as a Christian and win the day, then you need to give 100%. I think it was like 45 years ago, I heard this poem, and I said, man, that's for me. And I wrote it down, and I've kept it close to my heart for all these years. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a fellow turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Often, the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often, the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup, and he learned too late when the night came down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems afar. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you mustn't quit. So remember, 
God expects you to do your best. Yeah, but I fell six times. Yeah, I know. I got news for you. You're going to fall again. But after that, God's going to write page three for you. You see, that's God's way. So if you're just giving a pittance to God in the way of faith and prayer and a pittance to God in the way of respecting his word, you hardly read it, and a pittance to God in faithful church attendance and a pittance to God when it comes offering time and a pittance to God when it comes to letting your light shine for Jesus. If you're just giving a pittance, all you can ever expect in return is a pittance because you will reap what you've sown. But if you will get alone with God and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one, but I'm going to live my life for you. That's what God's waiting to hear. And God will bring to your aid. He will marshal the forces of heaven to your help. He will guide your path. He will open and close the right doors if you do it God's way. So this has been the diary of a good man. Could this be your diary? Maybe you're on page one or page two. Page three is coming. I'll tell you this. If you've never been born again, Jesus said, you must be born again. A man cannot even see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. That's a spiritual birth. You've had physical birth. Your mother birthed you. Now you need a a spiritual birth where the Holy Spirit births you into the family of God. You say, how does that happen? That happens when you get sincere with God. You go to God and say, God, okay, I realize I've never murdered anyone, but (laughs) I'm a sinner. A sinner, that's a pretty powerful word, isn't it? Yeah, so is cancer. That's a pretty strong word too, isn't it? Yeah, but a sinner, that, you know, it kind of makes me out to look like I'm a bad guy. Well, in God's eyes, we are all bad guys. We've all sinned, every one of us, including me. I've done so many creepy things and thought so many impure thoughts. Every human being has. But God says, if you'll come to me through my son, Jesus Christ, I'll cleanse you of your sin. I'll clothe you in righteousness. I'll make you my own. You'll be part of my family. If this has never happened to you, God is willing. Are you willing? It doesn't take long for a a loving Savior and an anxious sinner to get together. It doesn't take long at all. And maybe in your heart of hearts, you've never come to God saying, I need to be saved. My sin has separated me from you. I need your salvation. Jesus, come into my heart. If you do that today, if you open the door of your heart, Jesus will. That's his promise. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. You open your heart's door when you admit to God what he already knows about you. There's sin in your life. You acknowledge that. You ask his forgiveness. You ask Jesus to come in your heart 
Be your Savior. Be your Lord. Wash away your sin. You do that, he'll come in. It happened to me. April the 6th, 1975. Some of you know that date by heart. I've said it so many times. It's for me a precious date. That's when I opened my heart and Jesus came in. And that's when the light bulb went on. Glory, glory. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.